Best and most blessed greetings of divine peace, grace, goodness, and divine light, dear beloved brothers and sisters. Welcome to Soul of Islam Radio. My name is Ihsan. I am a faith-based life coach with the goal of supporting seekers upon the path in finding a healthy balance between the spiritual and practical dimensions of life in the modern world. And my platform seeks to serve as a bridge between the worlds of matter and spirit, faith and the lack of it, the practical and the religious, the temporal and the eternal, the old and the new, and the body and mind and the heart. I recently had the opportunity to sit and engage in an illuminating conversation with Haji Dawood or David Sterling, author of Journey in Grace, Gems Gathered from a Life on the Path, which is an incredibly enjoyable autobiography of Brother Dawood's journey to Islam, his meetings with remarkable men and women of faith, and the deep and divine wisdom gained along the way. Haji Dawood embraced Islam in 1976 in Monterey, California, as part of an early wave of converts or reverts to the faith. The son of Jewish Holocaust survivors, Sidi Dawood brings a unique perspective to his journey to Islam, and his book, Journey in Grace, is nothing short of a spectacular account of the constant divine mercy and light of God as it guides the sincere and seeking soul. In this episode, Haji Dawood and I discuss what led him to Islam, his personal background and reasons for writing his book, the importance of meditation and mindfulness, and how they relate to the awakening of the heart, the purpose of the spiritual path, the gift of suffering, and much more. Without further ado, I invite you to join us in this conversation and journey from the mundane to the spiritual, from the temporal to the eternal, and from the common to the remarkable. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Peace, light, and blessings be with you, Soul of Islam Radio listeners, and with you, dear Haji Mustafa, aka David Sterling. Uh, welcome, Haji Mustafa. Thank you very much. Wa alaikum salam. It's a delight to be here with you. It's my pleasure, and I'm looking forward to our conversation. Now, uh, you'll be fairly new, to, I think, to, to many of our listeners on Soul of Islam Radio. And so just as a brief introduction, you are the author of a book entitled Journey in Grace, Gems Gathered from a Life Upon the Path. And in your book, you, you have an incredible account of your spiritual journey uh, throughout your life from a young age and finding Islam ultimately and uh, embracing the path and many amazing experiences along the way. Um, but for people who are not familiar with your story at uh, Haji Mustafa, where does your story begin? What is the origin of your of your story? Well, the origin of my story is the same as the origin of everybody's story. Uh, we all come from that one and we return to that one and we live by that one and our life is predicated upon that one. But on a biographical level, on how it played out and how it plays out for me, is that I was born of Jewish Holocaust surviving parents. I lived, uh, they came to the United States in 1946, and I lived in a community of refugees in New York. And it was a wonderful experience in that there was a sense of belonging, a sense of shared background, and a great deal of accountability and support for each other in a, in a way of life, in, and especially in the new way of life. As that went on, 
I, although I felt connected to that group of people and that particular uh, ethnic and cultural background, there was something in me which recognized and acknowledged that there was something greater, that there was a sense in me of a universality that I belonged not only to the people I was with, but to a, a, the greater humanity, to the greater uh, realities of life beyond just this one particular context. And that stayed with me as I grew older, as I grew into a teenager. I was constantly being kind of scolded by my parents that I wasn't sticking sort of to my own people, so to speak, that I was reaching out to others. I couldn't help that. There was something in me which drew me to and made me kind of come out of the, the, the box that I was in. And part of that was not just curiosity, but a driving force within me. I can name it now and I can articulate it now, but when I was young, I, I could not. I know now what it is, is that it is that uh, that ruru and spirit that each one of us has that drives us to return to our, ourselves, to resonate to that light, to that beyond time and space reality within us. And it really drives how we move in life, what we're attracted to, what we were repulsed by. I know that now, but then I couldn't uh, pinpoint it like I, I and explain it like I am now. So that was the driving force. So when I became now a teenager and became older, I started to interact with people. And uh, especially the, I grew up in the, in the 1960s. So I was a child of the 60s. There was the hippie movement, the anti-war movement. There was an effulgence of... Uh, spiritual teachers that were coming, especially in the 70s also, from Turkey, from India, from all over the world. And I felt like drawn into that whole wave and taken up by that whole wave. I can't even claim that it was something that I did, but yet I, it was more like I became uh, uh, in the process uh, or uh, destined to be in that process of unfoldment. So it took me to meet uh, people who normally, in the as I grew up in the certain context that I did, would probably never meet. But that something that 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 light, that magnetic reality within me, uh, drew me. So I I started meeting people like I uh, said in my book, people like um, Baba Frijan, like Swami Muktananda, like Krishnamurti. Uh, people of that caliber, just you know, meeting them out of not necessarily seeking them, but just coming along and all of a sudden, you know, I met them and I was, drew, was drawn into it. Everything that happened, that's why I named my book Journey in Grace, because I was not the doer in it. And it was more like drawn into it and gifted at every moment, at every, at every experience. Uh, in that uh, new wave that uh, was happening and and the new sort of evolutionary process that was going on uh, with inside me. So when I became older I st and more experienced with with these uh, exposures, I, I started to still have the 
a sense of uh, not, this is not it yet. This is, I'm just now smelling the flowers, so to speak. I'm, I'm tasting it a little bit, but I didn't see a holisticness in it. I didn't see a, a completeness in the, in the exposures that I had. And it really wasn't until um, I met uh, the, uh, a group of Sufis, again, in, in a very extraordinary circumstance, uh, uh, that I was drawn into that, and I felt for for the first time a natural uh, belonging to it, as though it was the, a a way that just encompassed me in a in a in a more complete way, intellectually, emotionally, physically, just the and ob- observing behavior and energy between people. It was uh, a, a complete new uh, opening uh, for me. So Mm -hmm. in about 19, uh, I actually embraced Islam in about 1970, uh, 76, early 77 in California, in Monterey, with uh, the uh, group that came from England, mostly uh, Sheikh Abdul Qadir, a Sufi, and and his group there. Wow, so that's uh, that's quite a... um... A long time ago, and quite an adventure, quite a journey. I mean, a lot of the people, especially in that era, uh, found themselves flocking to Eastern spirituality. Some of the teachers you mentioned, as well as others, but typically within the Zen or the Buddhist or the Hindu or the yogic traditions. And you experienced that, but you felt that there was something that was still perhaps lacking, something more, something that might have be described as you as you described it as more whole more complete and and also i think given maybe perhaps possibly due to the fact that you come from a jewish background a monotheistic tradition what was it qualitatively that that settled in your heart if you if if you might be able to describe that that was different with let's say the path of islam and and the experience with the sufis um you know in a way when i came in touch, as you quite rightly point out here, when I came in touch with the Sufis, with Muslim Sufis, in uh, in this case in particular, um, there was a familiarity of it. Now that familiarity did come in in some way uh, as a result of my background in the, as you mentioned, the monotheistic background. Yes, I think that that is part of it. But I think really overall that each that I I was only a, well the one of maybe three or four people in the Jewish background that that uh, that I knew at that time that embraced Islam and came to the path of Sufism. There were many, of course, others. So I really ultimately what I ex- experienced was that we're all the same in that way. That if we ha- each of us has a, a soul, a rule, a spirit in us that is driving the narrative, that is driving the, the, us to seek and driving us to find, and is connected in every way seamlessly to uh, uh, to Al Hadi, the, the guide who guides us and brings us to meet the things that's necessary for that soul to find its expression. So, I think more than anything. It it is that, and that's why I I named my book Journey in Grace. Again, it is I find that in every circumstance of my life and of everything I've ever observed with any of my friends and people and associates, that the the mo- the biggest openings, the the most connections that people have made with realities 
uh, higher consciousness, etc., were through grace. Maybe they made some effort this way or that way. Maybe I did, you know, f- find myself in that circumstance, but the, that made it possible for me to recognize that, that this was the right path for me. But it came from, again, from a a, a compulsion, like a, like a, a, a moth to a flame. It, I can't articulate the path that, oh, I did this and I did that. And, you know, and then I, you know, it, that is very superficial in, in a way. It is, it is little steps that I took. It reminds me now, just now, all of a sudden that about that, if you take, it says in a great tradition that we have, if you take one step towards Allah, Allah takes 10 towards you. It's already in process. It's happening. We just have to, I just had to make myself available to it, accept it and not reject it. I didn't create it. It just it came about, and mm-hmm. I had to accept it. And that recognition came from, a, a, again, from an inner uh, uh, center, magnetic center, you can say, uh, within me, that when it, when it came to that outer mirroring of that reality, which is an inner reality, then I had, I accepted it and embraced it. And when I did, I saw the the truth of it the, to my limited mind and consciousness. I recognized it and bra- embraced it. I, I liken it when I first said my shahada, like a camera coming into focus. I kind of knew the whole picture, but it was blurry. But when I embraced Islam and took the shahada and and started to imbibe the shahada, I mean, the shahada, as you know, the saying, Ashadu an la ilaha illallah, wa Ashadu an Muhammad Rasulullah, is just the beginning. It's not, a, as you know, it's not an end of anything. It's in fact, when you say something like that, it's almost a lie. Because do you really, do I really witness a shadow in la ilaha illallah? Do I really encompass and imbibe Muhammad Rasulullah? It is, you know, a, a beginning and one has to, what I found, to, uh, accept and continue to accept and imbibe whatever one has the capacity to to imbibe of that path. MashaAllah. So what you're describing, Haji Mustafa, really is, uh, I guess, what maybe we can call guidance from the heart or through the heart. And uh, my shayukh have often referred to tasawuf specifically as the way of the heart. Uh, we have a rich tradition in which the Prophet of Allah, sallallahu peace and blessings upon him and upon so, them, all the messengers of God, he, he says that there's a piece of flesh in the body of the human being, that if it is good, everything will be good. Their actions, their guidance, everything will flow well. And if it is bad or if it is corrupted, then they'll be compromised. And that that is the heart. What would you say in terms of now your years, your decades uh, on the path, on the spiritual path, with regards to the importance of the heart for those who are seeking truth, who are seeking light, who are seeking guidance, who are seeking God? Well, it's all about the heart. There's nothing other than the the heart. The heart is the place in where you have the capacity, the, the possibility of, of unveiling that which is already within you. Mm-hmm. The heart it has is there's there's a place we, that the Prophet Muhammad called Beit Allah, and there's only two places that Beit Allah is applied to. One is the Kaaba, and one is the heart. He, uh, he, he says in a tradition, a Hadith Qudsi, that the whole world and the whole universe cannot contain me, but the heart of the Mu'min contains me. That we know that that 
within every human being, there is a soul of Rabbi. Allah says, and as you know, in the Quran, they said, when they ask you about the soul, say, it's by the order of Allah. And that order resides within the core of our being. The heart is the, the seat and core of our being. And it is pure. It is a representative of the of timelessness. It is an access that we have to the, the reality, to the absolute that is always resident within us. Yet at the same time, as you know, we have that reality was within, within us. We have the ephemeral and conditional self, which is we refer to, as you know, as the nafs, as the self, as the self-architecture, which develops or as, as a result of that rue within us, because the rue drives everything, the, the, the construction of the self, the body, and the perception of all of the universe. But as a conditioned being, as you and I grow up, as identified with our life, who we are, with our names, what people have called us, uh, our traditions, and so on, this, as you know, builds the 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 architecture of, of the ephemeral or conditioned self. So everything there is now the dynamic to take place for transformation. So you have the the uh, these two zones, the zone of the absolute, which is present and but unknowable by the mind, but yet present. And present is very important to to uh, evoke here because it is the only presence that ex in existence is Allah is the is the light of God, the the presence of this, uh, which is represented in the Ru spirit that resides within us. That is one zone. The other zone in the heart, so to speak, is the self structure. And that is a limited and conditioned situation. So everything that we need to uh, sort of evolve is taking place within the core of our being, within within our heart. It is not, I mean, we can address it, some emotional uh, element in it. Some There's a lot about love in terms of in relationships, but that is another kind of love. This kind of love that that, that is reset, resonant within the heart, in my perception, is the ultimate connectivity. Love is connectivity, connecting the front with the root and the self and that architecture of the self so that the more it connects, the more we focus and 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 imbibe and resonate with the heart, the soul within us, it then has an alchemical and dynamic transformational effect on the self-structure because the self-structure only is binary. It reacts to what it's good for it and bad for it, and, and that depends on our conditioning. But if it relates to something which is higher, which engulfs and has all the asma husna, the the names, the sifat of Allah within you, then it that resonating with that transforms the self structure and it starts to become more and more transparent. What we're getting at here is to answer your question is that it is all about the heart. Everything takes place within the heart. That's why the Prophet said, "Sallallahu alaihi wasallam." That if that is bad, that means it's it's completely suffocated by the self and the architecture of the self. Then what is the use of that? It's it's bad, <laughs> but if it's good, meaning it it is submitted, it is in Islam, 
it is a Muslim nafs, so to speak. Uh, and I mean that beyond just the reference to the religious affiliation to being a Muslim. This happens to universally to all humankind. All humankind has the potential for this. To and they and you all humankind for experiences this. You ask anyone so, uh, outside of, so to speak, Islam. There are so many people who experience this and sense the presence of the one within them. The great gift of being a Muslim is that we we have the perfect model and the perfect sort of uh, blueprint and mapping to this transformative life. And so everything we do within Islam is not ritualistic. It is very it is transformative if you get deeply into the meaning of every act and so on, and it applies to this heartful transformation. Once you one becomes, uh, once you become aware of that, I, at least I understand this for my own self. That once I became aware of this two zones and this uh, sort of mapping within me, then everything started to uh, make sense ar around me. And then it, I, I, and it happened really only many decades after becoming a Muslim. I was fumbling around, you know. Uh, I was acting in a transactional way with God. You know, I do this so many prayers and I'll get so many good, uh, you know, rewards in the garden and this and that. It was, or or culturally, I interacted with Muslims around me and yes, I'm a Muslim with you, brother, and so on. And that's fine. It was in a sort of a tribal sort of affiliation and there was goodness in it. But ultimately, I started seeing people who are Muslim, including myself. Why am I not yet happy? Why am I still discontent? Why am I anxious? Why am I worrying about the, the what I did in the past and regrets? Why am I still projecting into the future? This is uh, that has to be addressed as a Muslim. As a Muslim, I had to address that. I had I had to address what does it mean to be in dhikr of Allah? What does it mean to you know, to uh, that fi uh, salatihim daiman? You're in a state of submission of that uh, prayer all the time. You're in sajda all the time. What does that mean? So. In, in essence, it, it, it is all about the heart. There is nothing outside of it except uh, if you, if one believes and in, 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 goes through life thinking and interacting with life outside of this sort of a uh, mapping, it's all uh, mostly a waste. I like how simplified you express that in the sense that it's all about the heart, which is actually uh, something that Allah Almighty says in the Quran himself, that at the end, Nothing will avail a human being except for a sound, whole heart, Qalbun Salim. And uh, a lot of times, the spiritual aspect, the spiritual dimension of Islam, you know, often referred to as Sufism, Tasawwuf, Tazgia, other other titles or names as well. Um, it's a it's it's the spiritual the way that I would describe it as the spiritual dimension, the inner dimension of of the religion which constitutes its rituals its forms this would be the essence of the religion what the forms are meant to protect what would you say haji mustafa is the purpose of the path which also in a sense i could say uh similarly is the same question what is the purpose of life what is the purpose of religion it's simple it's so simple you know this age-old question what is the purpose of it really is simple we don't uh as you know, reality says, you know, in the Quran, uh, what, what, um, that he did not create man or jinn, but to worship me, he said. That, 
then so what does that mean? It what is worship? Worship means that you come into a state of of presence and acknowledgement of the of the reality that is within you and is and is also beyond you. It is a complete connectivity to to that reality. So we we live our life from that perspective that we want to become. Uh, uh, we want to cut through all of our uh, sort of ephemeral and uh, issues. Allah says in the Quran also that the kullu man bismillahirrahmanirrahim Everything is vanishing except the face of Allah. Everything is in in flux and in moving away and it and in entropy except that one reality. So if you wake up and you start to realize this in one's life, that everything is moving, well, asr, is, is, is in a, a decline, except for those who have that iman. So you begin, if, if Allah gives you the gift to begin to suffer, <laughs> that's the, you know, one of my teachers, whenever people came to him and said, Sheikh, what is the meaning of life? Why, why can't I... Touch the ultimate and become more spiritual. He used to just outright say, "Suffer." Well, why? Why suffer? Well, you have to suffer. Suffering is a result of of dis, of distraction, of 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 ghafala, of not acknowledging and tasting and experiencing and re resonating with the light which is beyond time and space. So we are. We have to suffer, so we we discriminate that if we can, and, and this is a gift that, that happens to human beings, all of us, but uh, particularly people who who <clears throat> then begin to acknowledge that this is there's a path. That if you go this way, you're burned, and this way you're 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 enlightened, you're delighted. It's a discriminating uh, and alchemical sort of element in our in our life. So this is what. We each one of us has, and that suffering then guides us into finding uh, uh, the path and finding the truth. And ultimately, the the meaning of life is for that: is to discover what is already within you. It is not something that you acquire. You can't gain God. You can't gain enlightenment. You have it already within you. So it is a process to discover, uncover, un unveil. And that is a process of living your life with that view, so that you, it, it sharpens your perception, your your inner ability to acknowledge, acknowledge and recognize what is what is what is refala, what is forgetfulness, and that which is uh, forever and present within you. And then it becomes part of your life. You taste it. It's so interesting about this issue of. Uh, the two zones. One is the absolute zone uh, of Allah's wajal, beyond time, beyond space. His that is also maybe it's used that way, and the other is the ephemeral and the transitory, and and so on. But we've been given uh, sensory ability, like the khayal, the the wahima. These are the ability to imagine, to project meaning. These are not just small subjective little. Uh, gifts it it gives us like a sense of what is the absolute like like an example is if you see a flower 
you see it, but then when you and you smell it, then you know so much more about it. It communicates something greater about the flower that you didn't know just by eyes and touch. It's the same way with uh, 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 with God, with uh, the absolute one within us. Is that there? There are elements like God gave us these these rungs on a ladder to to put our feet on, to stand on, and sense that absolute. And scent, like smelling the flower, we we know that there's something beyond this world. There's something beyond just this person here is talking. And yet, you know, it, it, it's and that is gives us a greater sense of uh, certainty and and it, a source of happiness because nothing else will gives it gives us that everything we know is vanishing but when we taste that and we be, develop that a taste for it and we follow that taste uh then i think we're on the path to discovering the the, the purpose of life mashallah earlier you quoted the uh haji mustafa you you quoted the hadith qudsi which if anybody's not aware is a tradition of the prophet muhammad peace be upon him in which he is relaying what Allah has said, and this is of course not the Quran, but it is also revelation from Allah through the Prophet. And he said that uh, neither the heavens nor the earth can contain me except the heart of the believer, Qalbul Mu'min. And so we have the house of Allah, which is the Kaaba, the Baytullah, but the people of knowledge have often pointed out that the true house of Allah is the human heart, the, the human heart that has been made empty of attachments, empty of vanity empty of ego and so a, a a place in which the light of allah can manifest in and inhabit on your journey you met many people remarkable people and in fact and i think your, your work has been compared to uh gurdjieff's story uh, meetings with remarkable men meetings with these servants of allah who had emptied themselves of everything other than the love of god can you share with us maybe perhaps a story or two about some of these remarkable men that you met along the way upon your journey and on the path who were living inheritors perhaps of the prophet of allah who were men of tremendous um, spiritual depth yes actually uh what comes to mind is a story about a a, a wonderful a wonderful a, a woman her name was uh, shakura I, in my book, I refer to her as Lady Shakura. She was uh, a, a scholarly person, a Sufi. Um, she came to Islam in this about the same time that I had in the 1970s. And one thing that happened in her past life was that her father was working on the uh, nuclear program in the Oppenheimer group in the 1940s. Uh, and in those days, they didn't know too much about radiation. So when they would drop, when they would set off an, a, an atomic explosion, she, her father would take her out to the desert in Nevada, you know, a mile two or a mile or two away, and they would observe it. Now, little did they know that, little did he know that he was exposing himself and his children to high levels of radiation. And eventually that radiation caused her to have uh, cancer, her brother, her father, her mother, uh, a lot of members in her family, extended members of her family. But 
I want to just I put that there just uh, you'll see how it relates to my story as I tell it. Um, in the 1980s, I was uh, selling books, spiritual books, uh, books on Islam and Sufism. And I was attending a, uh, a a big meeting. I think it was an ICNA or ISNA, one of those big uh, organizations. And as I was sitting there at my booth, there was a man who kept pacing back and forth in front of my booth, agitated. And I found it very remarkable that he just uh, kept walking back and forth. And I knew there was I had to connect with him in some way. And he came up to me and he said, uh, I something I he said, I see you that maybe you can give me some advice. And I said, well, sit down. And he turned out to be a man from uh, Iraq. Uh, he, he had migrated to the United States. And he began to tell me uh, a story in which he was telling me that that he gave up his Islam after so many years of being in America. And he and his wife uh, got involved in some unsavory situations uh, like swinging groups, and I mean the, the, the complete sort of de devolution of who they were, and and uh, but then he said, you know, but now I I became a Muslim again. I've returned to Islam, and I want to uh, change my life, and hopefully to help my wife change because I I feel attached to her and I still love her. And he told me stories how she at home would laugh at him and criticize him for praying and for and for doing uh, all the things that uh, a muslim would do in his behavior and she wanted to continue with her her life in debauchery and uh he asked me well what do i think i said well i think you should maybe you know try your you've tried your best you should let her go and just you know, allah will give you something a partner more fitting and for your evolution and so on so I asked him, well, how did this transformation uh, take place? And he then he began to tell me the story. Uh, he, he said that one day he was in a hospital and uh, there for a checkup. He wasn't Muslim or anything anymore at all. And over the mic, over the uh, speaker system, they had a call for an anybody who can read Arabic and who could recite the Quran. And he said, well, okay, he said, I, I can read Arabic and recite the Quran. Now, he hadn't recited the Quran in many decades already and wasn't interested in Islam whatsoever at that time. So he, But he reported to the nurse that he was such, and they brought him to a room. And in that room, there was a, a woman uh, lying in bed in the last moments of her life. And there were doctors standing around, a few nurses, a few family members, and he was handed a Quran, and he sat down, and the the woman who struggled to speak and said, "Could you recite Surah Al Yasin for me? Uh, and I want to hear it in the last few moments of my life." So he turned to Surah Yasin in the Quran, and he started to read the Quran, Surah Yasin. He told me that as he started reading, he saw on the face of this woman like a golden a light appear on her. And all the doctors and the nurses in the room and the family members were in awe 
of of that moment. There was, he said, a, as though you were there was no roof any uh, uh, in that room any longer. It was as though the, the the sky had opened up above them, and that they were standing in the sunlight of this tre- uh, celestial light. And he started to read the Quran, and as he finished Surah Yasin, the the lady took her last few breaths with the shahada on her lips. He was so moved by that, and yeah, that he wept, he said, for hours. And he said he saw his whole life uh, flash in, in front of him. And he made a vow that he would return to the deen and and that he would eventually become a hafiz of the Quran, which is, as you know, to memorize the entire Quran. He tells me this story and I asked him, I said, well, who is the, the name of the person? And he said it was Shakura. And he told me, I forgot the last name now, but it was, but that was, that's the person that I had known now for at least 15 years, 20 years. I had, I knew her and her, she was in the same madrasa that I studied in and studying Islam in the deen. She was there and she became a good friend to my family. Now, how that connection was made, because I hadn't seen her for so many years, yet here is this man standing in front of me. With, had become completely transformed, had res, had memorized the Quran in two years, and was telling me a story about somebody who I knew and was close to for so many years. This was again. How do you, how do you, uh, how can you orchestrate such a thing mm-hmm. to make such a thing? It is again a story of of grace. Do I have time to say one more story? Yes, yes, please. So another story which. Exemplifies uh, clearly uh, this grace that is constantly uh, available. Is that um, I was in Pakistan living there, and uh, I had been uh, living under the instruction uh, and companionship of a Chishti Sheikh. His name was Sheikh Said Akram Hussein. Uh, he was. Uh, from, from Hyderabad uh, in Pakistan. And uh, I was there with my wife at that time. And my wife was uh, suffering from a, uh, a bleeding uh, disorder, a hormonal disorder where she was bleeding a lot and uh, becoming anemic. And this sheikh happened to be a hakim, which is, as you know, uh, he practiced the medicine of the prophet and also Greek based uh, medicine, it's called Tiba Yunani and Tiba Nebui. And uh, he said, uh, uh, you should find uh, 10 grams of Berberis and 10 grams of Ifun, which is opium. Now, I'm in, pa- I'm in Pakistan, and f- for me, let alone a, a, a Pakistani, but for an American looking for opium in Pakistan, is not a very, uh, uh, the prospect of for me would be very dire if I was caught, especially by the officials. I explained that to the sheikh and he said, no, he said, these are the things and Allah will guide you. So go. So he sent me out to look for it. So I went to a, uh, the, there was this, now this was now the next day. I went to a marketplace uh, around the, a mosque. I can't remember the actual name of the district that I was in right now, I think it was called Karaja. But anyway, it was an, a mosque surrounded by 
lots of shops and there was an area, souk, kind of bazaar in the back, which people were known to have very strange things available in that place. So I went there looking for, Berberus was easy to find. I went to the uh, pharmaco pharmacologists, herbalists, found the Berberus. But opium, they said they actually chased me away, said, don't ask us for opium, go away. Opium is illegal, you can't find it. So I became very, at the end of the day, it was now becoming uh, sunset, becoming Maghreb, and I had to return. So I started leaving the bazaar. And as I left, um, as I describe in my book, I'm standing there looking for a, a transport to, to get maybe a taxi or a tonga or horse-driven carriage or something. And then I felt a, a tug at my sleeve. And when I looked down, I at first assumed that it was a beggar. But then I saw this beautiful elderly man sitting on a white uh, cloth. And he looked at me with a beautiful smile. And he had what, what's called in, in Pakistan a chistitopia, a hat which represented his lineage of connectivity to a Sufi tariqa. So I, he said, please sit down. So I sat down with him. And he said, I need to tell you a story. I need to tell you something. And so I sat and listened to him in this the atmosphere of this bazaar and people coming and going. But just we were in this little bubble of, of solitude and peace and silence. And he says to me, last night, he said, and now that I had a dream, he said, of my sheikh who came to me and said that I should come to this place and sit here and wait for an unusual person, an unusual moment. And he said, and you will then meet, you will meet the service that is required of you. So I was really taken aback. And he and he said, you are that person, he says to me. So I was very touched and I, I didn't have any anticipation of what was coming next. He then brings a, uh, he had a black bag, a leather bag that he was on his side. He brought it forward. And it's a typical sort of Hakim bag. So he explained to me that he was a Hakim. And he opened up his bag and he said, what are you looking for? And I said, I'm looking for 10 grams of uh, effune, of opium. And he reached in his bag and he pulled out a, 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 a plastic bag with a black tar material in it. And I recognized what it was. It was opium. And he pulled out a, one of those little a balance uh, with scales, and he put the, the gram weight on one side and the opium on the other. And it turned out to be exactly 10 grams of opium, exactly what I was looking for. And he, I explained to him all that I've explained, not just to about what's happening with my wife and the prescription from another Hakim, the Sheikh, the Chisti Sheikh. And he, he hands it to me. And I, in my foolishness, uh, I started to try to pay him for it. But, you know, it was a really, uh, it, was a, it, it, it wasn't insulting, but I was I was insulting myself to just try to hand him this money. But he said, no, no. He said, this is, you know, by God's grace. And he we stood up together. He put his scale away, stood up, and we've embraced. And after we embraced, I said, uh, I need to, leave here and bring this to my wife anyway in a few moments i don't know what happened i was distracted by looking for a transport but he was gone and i don't know i didn't know his name i didn't know where he came from how to contact him 
and I really had to do a kind of a reality check. I looked and I actually had the opium in my hand. So I went home uh, and brought the opium and I mixed it with uh, the berberis and lemon, which was part of the prescription. And he asked me to make it the size of uh, each pill, to roll them into pills and make them the size of a garbanzo bean. Um, so I did that and I, I started dosing my, my wife with this and within 24 hours, her bleeding stopped and she was feeling much better a day, but she was very intoxicated by the ingesting the opium. It was one of my concerns about it, but a day later, the Sheikh Ikram, Sheikh Sayyid Ikram Hussein came to my home and saw her in that state of uh, intoxication, glad that she had stopped bleeding. But then he asked me to show him the size of the pills that I was giving her. And he laughed at me and he just looked at me, he said, too big, right? And I did, I, in my mind, the garbanzo was an American garbanzo size bean, but in Pakistan and other places, they're actually quite tiny, dried. Mm. So he split the one I had made into four. So this is, again, a, a, another story of grace, of trust. And this is why I wrote this book. I wrote this book because I wanted to share essentially with other people that we are all living a life of grace, that that what happens in our life, maybe my stories are super, they're, they're, they're fantastic and they're, they're dramatic and, and maybe a little bit odd and this and that. But all of us are the same in that way. We, we have circumstances, gifts along the way, encouragements, manifestation of, of guidance, of Allah's light and his grace in all of our lives. And we need to take a second look at, at the signs along our way of life. This is what happened in my, it has happened and is happening still in my life. It is a, uh, the, the, the carpet of, of mercy unfolding as I walk. And every human being has the same. We're all the same. Each one of us is the same. It's just a matter of recognizing, waking up, not being distracted by the regrets and of the, and of the past or projections into the future, but being in the moment, being present. And if you're present, then you can read Iqra, you can read the moment. And that moment is reflecting out from your heart, mirroring in the world around you and speaking to you and uh, of the and unveiling to you what you need to know at the time you need to know it. You know, that you get the the message if you're present and experiencing the moment and not distracted by this polarity of past and future and, and your own minutia of thought to cutting through. And then that's what, what becomes possible is uh, a life of, of grace and joy and astonishment also to the mystery of how Allah works, how the reality works. We can never know and contain that uh, understand that mystery but it it is what is happening at every single moment um i would highly encourage everybody to to get a hold of your book haji mustafa an incredible story and journey um from the self ultimately to god which is a, a beautiful tale filled with all kinds of incredible experiences and encounters i wish we had enough time to go into more and more of these stories uh, but we'd be here uh, you know there's no limit there's no end to it um 
I want to thank you, Haji Mustafa, for for your time and for joining us today. How can people find your your book and your page? And your how can they connect with you? They can connect uh, with uh, the book is on Amazon. If you look up Journey in Grace, Gathered Gems from a Life on a Path, you will you'll find it there. And if you want to uh, connect or write to me personally. Um, I have a, uh, a YouTube uh, channel, which I think maybe you can make available. Uh, this, this is edited. And uh, and also, I don't mind giving my email address or and so on for people uh, to want to connect and uh, share with me sure. uh, their stories and so on. So uh, we'll include that in the in the description and the notes that accompany this this recording. Um, maybe a last question, uh, Haji Mustafa. I mean, what was your hope? What was your primary goal in writing this book? Really, it's what I. Uh, the primary goal was what I described uh, just now, but also it comes from an essential goal, and it just just now kind of came to me. And there's the the first ayah of Surah Al-Baqarah. You know, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, Alif Lam Lim, Dalika al-Kitabu al-Araiba fihi hudan al-Mutaqeen, Aladina yu'minuna bil-Ghaib wa yu'kimuna salat wa mima razaknahum yunfikun. That the end of that ayah is from what we, the description of that ayah is what is the 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 the, the picture of the of the Muslim, the the one who who believes in that book which is beyond time and space. That book. He's not. It doesn't say this book. It says that book. It gives it a a sense of non-time, non-space, not not something that can be corrupted, something which is uncorruptible. That and that we establish the prayer and we have tavakul and taqwa and all that. All that and one can look at that. But the end of it is warazaknahum yunfikun. And what we give you, Allah speaking in the royal sense of a whole universal effulgence. What we give you, you give out. You become a conduit of what we've given you. So ultimately, I felt that when I heard this ayah and when I hear it now in my heart, that it is the a part of the of a personal and universal fulfillment to share with other people. Yet that Allah has, has made this creation with all the signs within it, with all the gifts within it, with all the potential and possibilities within it. So as a human being, being the Khalifa of Allah, in order to fulfill your life fully, you have to be that too. You have to be the conduit in the of that of what you've been given, that which is not yours. The, the wisdom, and if you have any knowledge, if you have any from that reality, light, if you have it from that reality, to become a conduit for it and share it with other people. What we've given you, you give out. So in a way, it's a for me. It's been a, in part, a personal uh, fulfillment, uh, and uh, of that uh, picture, that directive of uh, to be, how to be a a, a living a, a Muslim, practicing, imbibing, and at the same time uh, giving out, and remembering that it's not from you. Because it's Allah said, from what we have given you, all these experiences are by His grace. All that we've talked about is by His grace, and if you can share it with other people, then you are somehow you are fulfilling 
a a the echo of Allah's fuddle overflowing this and his generosity. You become a, a conduit of that. That's it. Beautiful. That's beautifully said, Haji Mustafa. Um, and I love the, the themes and the topics that you mentioned in relation to that, specifically Khilafah, the, the vice chairancy deputyship of Allah. Uh, beloved Soul of Islam Radio listeners, I highly encourage you to get uh, Haji Mustafa's book, David Sterling's book, Journey in Grace. It's a tale of receiving grace and something that he's now, um, by the guidance of grace and the grace of Allah, seeking to transmit as well, receiving and transmitting grace. Thank you, Haji Mustafa. It's been a pleasure to have you with us today. Thank you. What a delight to be with you. Um, it is a really a big gift to me. Thank you. Um, I pray that you enjoyed and benefited from this discussion and episode of Soul of Islam Radio. To help us continue to bring you these meaningful conversations regarding spiritual development, faith, and religion, do us a favor and give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you happen to be listening to this broadcast. And if you can think of at least one person who may benefit from this content, please share Soul of Islam Radio with them. To learn more about Haji Dawood Sterling, I recommend a copy of his wonderful book, Journey in Grace, available wherever books are sold. For those who would like to reach out, we'll have a link to his current contact information in the show notes below this episode. To further connect with me and to learn how you can deepen your personal spiritual path and journey, please visit us at soulofislamradio.com and join our community through one of the many resources available there for your learning, growth, development, and awakening. With the will and grace of God, I look forward to connecting with you soon to your divine and eternal success.